Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 20. Today we have Kevin Harrison. Uh, if you want to say hello there, Kevin. Hi, everyone. So uh, Kevin's got a really interesting story. Uh, worked in the sheep sector in various different facets, uh, which we'll get into. And uh, you might actually be thinking, I recognise him. And you might not even be someone that's totally in the sheep sector. And the reason for that is he's uh, shot to fame over, over recent uh, weeks and months, I guess you could say, as he appeared in Clarkson's Farm. So another thing we'll be getting into. Uh, so maybe we'll be able to tap into this sort of grand tour fandom with this interview. Um, but yeah. we'll start, <laughs> we'll get in, get into chat with yourself there, Kevin. Um, what's your sort of background? Are you from a farm or uh, did you come into farming later in life? Um, well, I've been farming, well, it was a childhood dream, really. I wasn't from, uh, from uh, farming stock, so to speak. So... Um, sort of got into it about the age of 13. I, uh, I went, ended up on a farm riding a horse on a riding stables and liked it and ended up going back. My, my parents didn't like like the outdoor lifestyle. Like, well, mum mum was better, but dad dad hated anything like that. But uh, yeah, and then I just helped, started helping with the horses and then uh, started helping with the, the cows and things like that and never looked back. Um, ended, up, uh, ended up in... Um, well, just a lifetime in farming, really. It's been wonderful. Excellent. It's, and, and it gets it gets quite the, the hard rap farming for being really hard to get into. And there's no doubts about it. There's barriers. Um, but, I mean, that there is proof that, that you don't have to. Uh, so you started um, doing a bit of farmhand work at 13. Uh, what, where was the sort of transition from there to where you are at the minute? Well, <laughs> I started to enjoy it. And then you start thinking, well... What could I do? Well, I wasn't clever enough to be a vet. I wasn't, okay. I wasn't a big fan of school, so another six years at university um, didn't appeal to me. Um, so I thought, well, I, I could get into into farming, and uh, I set my uh, my goal high, and I thought I'd go to farm management and um, go and go and did a three year diploma at um, agricultural college. Um, I don't. People my age might remember YTS where they paid you seven uh, twenty seven pound to do a, a week's hard graft and uh, and then he got this little qualification at the end of it farmers love that because they get people like me and, and pay them hardly anything and then we worked out yeah then did my diploma and then uh, yeah sat out on my on my travels but always trying to learn along the way always trying to do a good job um and you know that led to more opportunities i did nine years up in I actually advertised myself in the Farmers Weekly, actually, when I left college. I was self-employed. And uh, I got a job up in Rutland. Uh, and, um, yeah, that was driving some of the biggest and best machinery that was coming on market there. It's old school now, but um, <laughs> that, that was good fun. And then I got made redundant quite quickly and then got another job and uh, ended up with a big farming company then and started going towards a bit more livestock-wise. Um, started running a a a big flock for a Russian prince and princess um, as part of Century Farming Group, yeah. and that was good as well because we got a little bit of training on that as well, and started to work with good people in the industry, just trying to do a good job, and um, and yeah, and then I ended up coming down here as a farm manager uh, 21 years ago, so I'm now farm manager for um, a company called JT Bayless Farming. Um, it's a family farm on on the edge of Bath, right on the Cotswold escarpment. It's a bit like a Welsh hill farm, but uh, in, in in Somerset. 
but uh, yeah, so I've ended up here. Um, yeah, and there's other exciting things have happened along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, what YTS then was that the sort of old called modern apprenticeship? Is that it was like youth training scheme? It did okay, it on, yeah, on, yeah. on all industries. Um, it's probably called slave labor now. I was gonna say when labor was <laughs> slave labor was allowed. <laughs> um, also, uh, for most of my viewers up here in Scotland, I know Rutland's not actually north, that's just what they say in England for some reason. Did uh, I say up north? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's true, you say though, isn't it? When you go to one of these places with all this kit, you know, I, I am from a farm, uh, but like. A hundred horse tractor is the biggest I'd ever seen. And I remember going into a farm in Essex. I did two summers there. And you see this kit and you're like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I've seen houses smaller, you know. Uh, yeah. It's it's exciting times. It's a great learning curve. And you um, see 16, 17-year-olds driving them down the road. That's that's the scary bit as well. But, uh, it's a uh, yeah. question, I think, is maybe the answer. I think I struggle now. I get bored sat on a tractor. Okay. Two, two or three hours. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to find it tedious. I think I think if you've got the CB radios, you know, and you can talk to each other and stuff, that's that's quite good fun. But if you're just in your own and you're power harrowing or something, yes, yeah. I, I, I'm definitely with you. Yeah. I, just for the viewers, one thing I thought was brilliant when you email Kevin, and you know, normally it says at the bottom send from my iPhone or something, it says sent from my tractor, which I thought was excellent. Yeah. I always change that. It depends <laughs> who I'm talking to. Okay. And, it, and, it, and it shows an attention to detail on the other end because some people just skim through an email, don't they? Yes. And, uh, yeah. But if you know they've noticed the bottom bit, you know they've read all the email. <laughs> well, I kind of had to because if I didn't, then we wouldn't have arranged this. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, just you, you, you're now the farm manager. Twenty-one years, did you say, Kevin? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, what what sort of stock are you running there? So we got um, North Country mules. Uh, yeah. We normally up about nine nine hundred. I've got a bit a little bit less this year for different reasons. Um, and we used when I first came here, we had suckler cows, nice black Hereford Frisians, and used to put a charolais on those. Um, and then we used to outwinter the the calves for, for stores and then sort of sell them in February stores. And then when the new single farm payment scheme came in, which isn't new any longer. Yeah. Um, it just got harder and harder, and we, you know, nitrogen vulnerable zones and things like that. It got harder and harder to keep keep the cattle, and then we had TB to finish it all off as well. So they went, and um, we just increased the sheep numbers. So it's just purely focusing on on sheep on the livestock side. We did all our own arable work. We had a couple hundred. We got a couple hundred acres of arable. But that soon became clear was the price of machinery and everything went up. But um, it was going to be easy to get contractors in to do it. Um, and, uh, yeah, just did things like fertilising and uh, carting around bales and things like that. Just keep the fixed costs down, really. Is that wheat and barley, OSR? What you? Um, well, we were on a three-year rotation, which was wheat, rape and barley. But in the end, we went to just uh, spring barley every year. And then half of the... Half the arable, we could then put stubble turnips into uh, winter feed for the ewe lambs because we always yeah. buy our replacements as ewe lambs and bring them, bring them down and bring them on home here. Excellent, yeah. very good. Um, quite a place then. <laughs> uh, it's got amazing yeah. views as well. It's, uh, yeah, well, we're pretty it? high. We're so, yeah, so. 
Yeah, we can see right across, right up on the top of the farm. You can see from the Mendips right round to Wales and then up to the Malvins if you stand in the right place. So Is that right? You can see. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive. Lovely. Mm. Very nice. Mm. Um, in your spare time, you're also quite a busy man. Uh, <laughs> very, actually, when you look yeah, what at is, What is spare time? Oh, true. Yeah. So, uh, okay, you're, you're nine to five when it's not a nine to five as a farm manager and you're five to nine as other stuff. Let's go with that. Or you're, you're, you're seven to eight then. Like, you know? <laughs> um, so you're heavily involved in the NSA, the National Sheep yeah. Association. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a bit about that as well? Kim? Yeah. What they so, um, so obviously the farming is my, my background. I've been a member of the NSA for a long time, but didn't really get actively involved with in them till probably seven or eight years ago and sort of worked up through sort of regional chairmanship. And I'm now the chairman, English committee chairman, um, and just go out there and, and lobby government on behalf of the sheep industry, try and help sheep farmers, you know, try and deliver the message back to them. Um, and it's, it's great the way the NSA is, is structured because it's um, got these regional areas and each region has a committee and they can feed into their committee. Then each committee then has places on the English committee. Um, so then it's like just a meeting of, of minds and then we can help Phil Stocker, our CEO, sort of plot his journey and, you know, how to lobby the government on what we want and... Um, and it's just, I mean, it punches above its weight. It's a really, it's a really good association. It's, it's a charity. It's a members association. Um, and yeah, and there's a great deal of work done by a lot of sheep farmers to, you know, help, help the NSA in their, in their, um, in what they do. No, it's, it's a, it's a great, well, not company charity. It's a great, is it, is it NFU based? Kevin, Nothing to not, do with the NFU. No, is it not? No, no, no. Don't say that. <laughs> I'll put my hands up and I will not talk about that again. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know if it was affiliated because obviously no. it's quite sort of lobby. We try and we try if there's common ground, we try and work together and uh, you know, use each other's strengths and um, you know, if there's something really really important that we can lobby government together with, we will do that. So yes, yeah. that's only a yes. bit of banter there. Right. <laughs> I know I will just you know. Uh, um, how you might not know this, but how sort of many members are you looking at throughout the country? Uh, just over six thousand at the moment. Is it well, the country? Yeah. Is um, that just England or is that? That's everywhere. everywhere. Um, yeah, I think Scotland would probably have the same amount of members as the Southwest, something like that, and then <laughs> yeah. the, the and uh, the North would be quite a big, big area. But the, I mean, all the regions are good and they're well supported. It's great. No, it's 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 a it's a thing I've sort of always been aware of. You know, we've got Scotch sheep up up in Scotland. I don't know if. You've got an equivalent, but that's NSA backed for sure. And uh, the, one of the best, I don't know, not websites, but web pages there is, is that lambing list. You know, yeah. I think excellent. Uh, I tell tell a lot of our students, tell a lot of folk that maybe aren't at college and just really want to give lambing a shot to have a look at it. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. yeah, no, but, we have um, we have our main event at Malvern every other year. It was cancelled last year, but we've got that coming up next year which is a really good one very similar to scott sheep and then in the in interim years we always have uh regions have their own uh events as well so yeah, and where was great. that sorry i didn't quick catch malvern, malvern. Uh, the <laughs> main event yeah, yeah. i think yeah. off the top of my head and i might get in trouble i think it's the 27th of july okay <laughs> i'll uh 
I'll have to look that up. Maybe a wee yeah. trip in the summer. Yeah, no, um, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're great. I mean, I've and, been uh, and also, so. yeah, we. I sit on the UK Policy and Technical because you mentioned Scotland, the UK Policy and Technical Committee as well, which then brings all the devolved nations together. Okay. So we can talk about you know each each devolved nation's problems as well and understand what they're trying to do and their problems they're trying to farm around and what their governments are doing. So that's really good as well. So is that policy in general or is that strictly agricultural? Uh, mainly sheep farming, yeah. Right, okay. So it's it's it's, it's the NSA UK and policy UK policy and technical right. committee. Sorry, um, I thought it's great because. Yeah, so no, so you get Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, all their um chatting about their 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 um you know hurdles and things like that. Yeah, well I mean everywhere's different, isn't it? And if, mm. if we don't talk about it, we're just gonna channel it no. one way. The Scottish um, talk the most. We're we're known for it. <laughs> <laughs> is that a bad thing? Maybe it is. Uh, I should probably continue with the, the program art here. Um you mentioned about NSA sort of punching above its weight. Mm. Uh, and from what I understand, there's sort of work overseas being done. Could you tell us about Yeah, well, we're trying to work on, um, on, on on quite a few things, actually. As as trade deals are opening up, we're sort of trying to do inward missions. Um, we, we've done quite a bit into South America, where that's nearly about to open up. And I've spent a lot of time in China over the years doing inward missions, just connecting with sheep farmers and I think definitely at the moment trying to work on a license so we can export germplasm, you know, uh, semen and embryos over there. But we can't at the moment because of um, the past scrapey issues. So we're sort of, you know, trying to prove how good we are now at traceability and how we've sort of tried, how, how we've eradicated it. Um, and, you know, the... the the UK is the stockyard of the world, really, isn't it? The the genetics from from the UK is all over the world. You've only got to look at the most successful sheep countries in the world, and that they're all boasting UK genetics. You know, the Dorset, you've got the Dorper, the Dormer, um, a lot of the Australian stuff, Um, and they're even coming to us for our genetics so they can sell into places like China. So we're just trying to get in there, see what, I mean, there's some massive sheep farms in China now. I've been to farms now where there's a hundred thousand uh, sheep on slats and sheds, you know, and they've got a really good um, ewe which is called a hoo sheep, and it, it's a bit like the Dorset. You can lamb it all season round. Um, it has lots of lambs. Um, it's quite domesticated. It doesn't quite have the shape on it, so you know they're looking at better terminal size to improve shape. And and if we can open the door through. Um, uh exciting them about our genetics and hopefully we could open the meat market and you know start send, sending them lamb then as well so it sometimes feels like you're banging your head against the brick wall um but uh i think it'll be worth it in the long run you would think it's got to be you know uh is is there is there much of a wool industry out in china or is it solely meat as well well they buy a lot of our wool anyway so yeah. um um so obviously the prices have been down because no one's really been buying wool this yeah. year because or last year because of the you know cruise ships were, were weren't weren't replacing their carpets hotels weren't replacing their carpets china didn't weren't really manufacturing much so but yeah um and it's quite interesting when you start talking to people 
some are trying to try and work with wool shedders and others really want the wool because they you know they like the wool over there it's interesting to see where that that will go the whole wool situation what's your opinion on that what where do you think we are going with the wool situation just continuing downward or do you think there's a resurgence there uh it is the most sustainable fabric yeah out there isn't it um okay yeah. might have a few issues with sort of cleaning it and processing it but and you know we could put it in roofs so we need to find we need to find a use for it you know there there's there are some breeds that you can that will shed it you know they never used to have wool on did they sheep until someone thought it'd be a good idea to breed the wool into these sheep yeah um so you know you can see the popularity of wool shedders growing now um you know a bit more easy care um less 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 hassle with the wool especially if you know legislation changes on castrating and tailing and things like that we might you know wool's going to become a nuisance but uh, that's not me doing down the the wool industry it's a great industry and we need to support british wool and yes the wool prices have been on the floor but at least the land prices have been up there helping us get over that so we shouldn't grumble too much yeah keep the pressure on them and hopefully get out the other side of the pandemic and it'll and it'll um it'll lift again no absolutely and i mean like our our, our lamb price and our meat price in general is, is our main one and it's doing great and I have actually written this down to talk about the impact of COVID but just quickly on the easy care thing I think you know when I started college it's got seven years ago now it doesn't feel like that but uh, when I started college there was a sort of almost looking down idea on easy care and I think there's been a general spike in them now just when you realise the possibilities mm. of that but um, yeah I, I... I do you say about um what I do um, outside my nine to I do a little bit of freelance stuff as well, which maybe come on to later. But I I did do a little bit of work with the ex Lanas this time and I went down to um to their sale and you look round who's there buying it and they made good money, mine. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you you see who's buying it, it's it's youngsters who are looking ahead to what's round the corner with elms and uh, different animal health pathways. Uh, and things like that that you know and and the, the genetics are improving on these these wool shedding breeds um you know and and these people understand genetics and you know i think you'll see a rise in it yeah i mean you, if you look at sort of will at the minute i'm not going down the wool rabbit hole just a quick thing to talk about though you're probably looking at a loss of a about a pound an animal uh, from the shearing process before you consider your own time, before you consider the food you put on for the shearers, you know. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, you can totally see why it's shifting in that direction. Yeah, we shear um, twice, so because um, I shear at housing at Christmas. So okay, of course, our, yeah. Our use come in, we uh, we come in at Christmas um, between, um, yeah, between Christmas and New Year. We scan them, we shear them, and then they, we, we lamb in, in March. Um, yeah. and they're on a sort of straw and nuts basis so it's good to have the wool off and um and when they go out they're much more thrifty and you know if you have a shower of rain and they sort of shake themselves off and they go if yeah. you have a you have a snowstorm they go and hide and take their yeah. lambs with them so just just when you mentioned scanning there yours will be scanning quite high quite prolific yeah we're always over 200 and uh, yeah. 205 some years 215 which is a bit of a nightmare because <laughs> mules don't really rear three so we usually end up with some uh some on a machine yeah. which is normally just a pain well bring it, yeah. 
you bring them into the world, you got to look after them. Exactly. No, I mean they are a pain, but there's there's as this year has proven, there's a market to make something from them, which is good, you know. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we'll, we'll we'll jump on to COVID there just just quickly, uh, Kevin. We mentioned land price and wool price and stuff, and and really when you look at COVID, I, I don't like saying the term COVID has been good for farming because that just feels wrong to profiteer from something like a pandemic. But the general prices have literally been higher and are in a, what I would say, a, a just place, a good place. Um, how do you think COVID's affected the sheep industry specifically and do you think it's going to have a knock-on impact? Well, I think, think of it, it's focused the mind of the consumer, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the high prices we're getting at the moment, that's not due to export. That's mm-hmm. due to the fact that people have suddenly appreciated the quality of their food and where it's come from and they're they're going to local um local producers you know buying it knowing that it's sustainable and where it's where it's come from so i think and and all of a sudden some of the people are you know through furlough and stuff they still had some money you couldn't go to a pub and 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 have a meal uh, couldn't go shopping so let's treat ourselves let's cook our own nice meals and it was a bit of treat to go out to a farm shop and buy some some quality food so and then they start to think think about you know where their stuff's come from and and it's not about um just vegetarianism or veganism or you know you don't necessarily have to do all that um although it's a personal choice you don't have to do that to save the planet you can keep keep stuff local sustainable and be aware of what you're eating and how it's produced so i think it's focused their people's mind on that the danger is that maybe the government doing trade deals abroad for other you know other with with lower standards um could kick back on that but hopefully we'll do enough to educate the consumer into making the right decision for themselves yeah no, no, I totally agree. And I think I don't think any of us disagree with the, the potential merits of, you know, reduced meat consumption and stuff. But when you're looking at the local area, which here in the UK and specifically in Scotland and areas like yourself, the local product that is easier to produce is meat. You know, and if you're looking at it from that perspective, you've really got to do some research in your local area. Yes. And for the most part, meat in a, a UK diet is is the most environmentally friendly. Balanced plate and a balanced argument, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I can look from the top of my hill, I can see a dairy farmer down in the valley who makes his own cheese and sells his own meat, uh, his, his own milk. And, uh, you know, I've got my lambs running around there. You can see corn grown on the on the good ground, you know, and, it, and it's all there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we're, I think, you know, I think we're getting that message out. I think a lot of us are. We're we're pushing that sort of discussion and, and folk are having these chats and it's getting to be known that it's not just meat is bad, you know? Um, but I, I feel like that's a rabbit hole we could go down for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned Australia there, the trade deal. What do you think that means for the industry? Well, there's still a bit of blurred edges with it. You know, I think, I think the government, the cabinet probably fell out a little bit over it as well with, with different agendas because you had people yeah. like uh, Michael Gove and George Eustace promising that they wouldn't um, sell us down the river, throw us under the bus. And then you got Liz Truss having to do her job as well and open these 
it's trade deals, and I think we'll have to accept that we will, we may at times be the pawn in the in the battle. But um, I think Australia will also wake up to. I mean, their biggest market, China. So it might be that certain people want will raise their welfare standards to send it over here. So you might have a two two tier food two tier food production systems in in australia where you know different stuff goes to different places because china's hungry china needs protein so that they wouldn't question where their food comes from as much as uh, a uk consumer um but like you know it's just about educating that consumer where they get it from as well and if they want to go and get a slab of australian meat from a cash and carry um at the right price or or if they're they're not asking where their stuff comes from when they when they go in a restaurant, then that's what you might be eating. It's a bit like carbon, isn't it? Mm. Is carbon offsetting? Is that acceptable, really? If you've got a business that produces lots of carbon, how can you go and buy a woodland and offset it? You're still producing that carbon. Yeah. And those those trees are still storing that carbon, or that permanent pasture is still storing that carbon, regardless of who owns it. Uh, I've I've never been fully sold on offsetting. I think offsetting is better than not offsetting, but I don't think I'm fully sold on it uh, uh, because just because yeah, just I mean that woodland was still there, as yeah. you say. Just because you own it now doesn't mean you're yeah. different. Uh, you haven't but, built yeah. a, you haven't built a field to store exactly. carbon. Uh, yeah, but um, I think if you, if you start going into offsetting with something like welfare, I think we have a, 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 I don't think that's a good thing to no. go in. No, yeah, you know, this we got world class standards here, and we give we do give red tractors some grief sometimes for some of the strange standards they come out with. Um, and you know, it's there's some interesting stuff in there, but you know, at least it sort of puts a, a backbone in it as long as they listen to the farmers and, and the consumers as well. Um, but then for us to be constrained so much by all this legislation and standards and rules, and then just let a load of stuff be shipped in. Um, it, you know, it, it's painful, really. Yeah, it's, it's almost a bit uh, hypocritical, but mm. if it's boosts, yeah. Anyway, yeah, interesting. Um, one one other thing that uh, I'm pretty sure you mentioned, uh, you're involved in is SCOPS. Now, yeah. uh, I, should, I know I've got some students listening to this, so I better try and remember it. Uh, sustainable control of parasites in sheep. That's no. the one. Is that, I couldn't remember yeah. sheep at the end yet. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about what scops do, what they are, that sort of thing? So scops really is <laughs> it's a steering. So it's a sustainable sustainable control of parasites in sheep. Um, and a long, quite a long time ago now, um, you got me off guard on that on the years, but it'd be <laughs> 10, 12 years, I'm sure. Um, it was set up because they were starting to understand that there was resistance in some of the anthelmintics that are used on sheep for internal parasites. So it was started from that to try and teach farmers best practice on the use of, of products. Um, and it's, it contains, um, it's, the steering group is made up of people like the NSA, AMTRA, ARDA, um, I'm going to get in trouble for missing uh, NFU, Sheep Vet Society, Morden, um, 
and and everyone you know it's the great thing about it is it's a mixture of, of very clever people in their own departments and it all comes together as one melting pot to discuss the best ways forward for all of it and amazingly it's chaired by a farmer who probably knows <laughs> very little compared with everyone else sat around that table but the farmer is the one it's there for and who is, is used for. And we got Rob Helliwell as well, who's um, the vice chairman. Um, so, you know, it just approaches. So at the moment we're working on things like um, a new an- anthelmintic resistance working group just to really pin down on um, how how we get the advice across to farmers when, once they have found out if they've got anthelmintic resistance. We're doing a, a lot of work with... Um, a subgroup which uh, Phil Scoose is in, Philip Scoose is in, yeah. and that's about um, anth- anthelmintics and products with the environment and, and what the effect is on, on the environment with the, and certain times of use. Um, and, yeah, just making sure. Yeah, another thing we've done is is um, Dipper accreditation, mobile Dipper accredit, sort of code, code of practice for those just to try and get things done properly and we on the website there is so much stuff on there we've got technical uh, a technical manual it's like a tree and you can click and so your students would love that and if there's a if there's something you need to know just go on there uh, look under technical manual and it'll drop down so if you say you went into anthelmintic resistance they'll come down with different papers um quarantine we're just actually in the process of um changing our quarantine information, uh, treatment information to try and take into account more um, liver fluke and scab risk. And now with the new ELISA test for scab, we can sort of test before we treat because there's a bit of um, a little bit of uh, resistance now, or fear of resistance coming into the three MLs, which is the injectables that people use for, for scab. So Scott's is about using medicines responsibly, so responsibly, so we can use them in the future as well, so we can keep farming sheep. Because if if we can't control parasites, we can't farm sheep outside. Yeah. So, what would a sort of maybe someone's listening to this that's just into sheep farming and they're aware of anthelmintic resistance, but not sure specifically how to sort of work with it? What would a sort of general surface touching a method be of controlling these parasites so work i I can't stress enough work with your health advisor your vet um and or and and talk to your rama do not don't go on facebook and see what everyone else is doing (laughs) so they're the people with the knowledge they know what products are the right products they should know about anthelmintic resistance you should do tests to see what you are resistant to. You need to be very careful on buying in sheep. Always use the correct quarantine treatment, which is all on the SCOPS website. And, you know, your, your health advisor should know. About it. Choose a really good, knowledgeable flock advisor, health advisor as well would be a, a, another important thing because it's a lot to take in on your own. It blows my mind that you're not advising Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> There is some questionable advice goes out on Facebook, but it's a good place. But you know, you wouldn't treat your granny off of Facebook, would you? So why treat your sheep <laughs> off of Facebook? That's a really good one. You wouldn't treat your granny off. Why treat your sheep? Good one. 
No, they, you know, I owe a lot of what this whole rural's kitchen has become to Facebook. But if you only channel the negative energy on Facebook, you're you're in a time to <laughs> it's not a good place in that sense. Yeah. Um, no, it's a very it's, it's it's a great place, but it, it's it's for professional advice. You just need to you know be careful where what what you read and take on board. Really, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, is there anything else you fill your free time with before we get into? Uh, well, you can see my saxophones behind me. I'm playing yep. a boogie woogie band. Um, pre-pandemic, we were probably out once or twice a a week uh, around sort of Somerset, and well, we go do quite a few big festivals and vintage festivals. We sort of play 1950s, uh, 1950s uh, boogie woogie stuff. So we got piano, got a female vocals, and um, double bass. And yeah, Harlem Rhythm Cats. Check them out. We got we got Harlem YouTube Rhythm page. Cats. If oh, you can yeah. spell rhythm, you'll find it. Wait a minute. R Y T H Y M. No, that's R Y T H E M. I don't know. I'll look it up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So as you say, what is free time? You're right. It doesn't sound like you have any, uh, Kevin. So um, I'm also, um, yeah, also. Um, so I've just gone on to the Register of Sheep Advisors, which is the new uh, register for sheep advisors that the NSA and BASIS have been working on, which is great. So if, if people want to find a, a sheep advisor to help them with their flocks, it's called ROSA. And um, I think their their uh, tags normally sheep is sheep advisors, that's sheep advisors. But you, you'll find it. If you put Register of Sheep Advisors into Google, you'll find them. So, yeah, so do a little bit of freelance from that and uh scops and yeah anything else that comes <laughs> along anything yeah exactly so so is rosa a sort of assurance scheme for sheep advisors then is that how that works or just a yeah slight... so it's like a cpd you know okay. continuous development points um and um you know we have to do certain things throughout the year to keep our points up and uh, maintain the standard um but it's it's not just there for ramas or SQPs or vets or anything. It's down to other people, a bit like myself, who just dabble a little bit, really. <laughs> well, you so. say a little bit. <laughs> it feels like you have no time, especially now that the band's off because of the pandemic. You get no time well, away from you. <laughs> no, we're back out gigging now, so that's good. No, <laughs> oh, actually, good. My, yeah, my, my daughter did say to me the other day, don't you get fed up with talking about sheep? And then I thought about it, and I thought, she's got a point, actually. <laughs> but I do make a, when I do go out, I don't talk about farming. I do make sure that when I go out, I talk about something different. I think you've got to detach yourself from it, or, or a lot of the farmers yeah. just find themselves loving it 100%. Uh, mm. <laughs> anyway, just when you mentioned that, when you mentioned you're back out playing, do you have a local show or anything? Has that, has that been on? Or? Uh, well, there was Bath and West, but that was a little bit early. Um, right. I like the three counties up at Malvern. That's really farmer orientated, but that that was obviously cancelled. Um, so no, I haven't. We haven't had one local here nearby that we've been able to go along to. Yeah, no, it's a shame. Looking forward to them next year. Fingers crossed. Surely we have them next year. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, when when I got in touch with yourself, Kevin, it wasn't actually the first time I got in touch with someone from the NSA. I didn't really have anyone in particular, but just someone to talk mm. about the NSA in general. Uh, so I maybe got in touch a few months ago. So don't think I only got in touch with you because I saw you on the telly. Um, <laughs> but the reason I got in touch this time and uh, started speaking to yourself was because I'd seen you on the telly. 
Uh, for, for those of you listening and, and watching, um, I'm almost certain you'll have seen Clarkson's Farm. Um, but it was it was on Prime TV and uh, it was basically just a show of Jeremy Clarkson on his home farm and showing the sort of trials and tribulations, the, the positives and negatives of farming and really showed it in a, an honest light, which was really good for, for agriculture, I think. But I'm going to ask you that in a wee minute there, Kevin. But how, how did Clarkson's Farm come about for yourself? <clears throat> um, well, it, it just needed... Um... A little bit of advice, really, steering in the right direction, just through his um, highs and lows. You know, he, he wanted to get some sheep, and he didn't know quite not know what breeze to get. You, if, if if anyone's watched the program, he was looking around, wondering what what to get. And um, yeah, so in in comes I, and uh, <laughs> and tried to guide him through it, really, um, which was interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, but we all wanted to do it right. We wanted to, um, you know, do everything right and make sure it went well and everything was looked after and that Jeremy learned as he went along and got stuck in and got involved too. Did, did they contact you or did it just come about by chance that it was yourself? Or... Um, it was sort of through association. You know, they they obviously heard of me and gave me gave me a shout and asked me to, yeah. to help out. Um, it didn't sort of, yeah, pick my name out of a hat. <laughs> uh, yeah. Someone heard of me somewhere. Yeah, I good. Um, the the I think the thing that I really liked about, as I just said, the Clarkson Farm was we we probably see Jeremy on Top Gear and, and things like that, and Grand Tours just goes for things, and and he will just go for things. And I think a few of us were probably thinking, how's this going to go? And I think it's really went well. It's it's done a lot for the industry. But what do you think? It's done for farming and, you know, focus on farming in general. He's obviously got arable crops to see. I think he's got cattle for the next season, the looks of his Instagram. Um, but focus on sheep or focus on the general agricultural industry in the UK? Um, it's just got people talking about it, and it? It's great. And it, just the farmers have been uh, saying to me, you know, how it's really put across how difficult it is. You know, there's not, not hidden stuff. It's not been... Fluffy Bunny, you know, Kate Humble, as he says. But it's also been educational, but not too educational to turn the ordinary viewer off. Um, so I think, just think it's great. And like a simple thing that someone was chatting to me the other day. Um, well, first of all, I was, they didn't know I was who I was. And I heard them talking behind me. And then someone else said that I did know. And that was like when he took those views. Um, to the abattoir, yeah. how moved he was by the fact of what he'd done, but then also that the fact that they showed him eating them afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there is that you, there is that disconnect between you know where your food comes from and that. And but everyone were impressed with the, the fact that he showed it, and it it um you know it was it's reality. But uh, you know, we don't send our animals off to be killed because we enjoy doing it. But it's there to feed, feed people. So that that sort of thing's great, and the difficulties and the weather, you know. And uh, we can't change the weather, can we? And you can't you can't set that up. So that's you know the challenges. That's that's what what we all get thrown at. That's what makes a dif dif our decisions different every morning when we get up. What's thrown at us? We can't have a we can't have a ten week Gantt chart, can we? It's uh, no. We've got to get on. So it's it's put that message across, but not just in this country. Um, it's worldwide. 
you know, Australia, America. I think it goes to two hundred countries. So you know, it's it's putting uh, it's putting British agriculture on the map uh, again. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, sorry, when you go, it's all good. Yeah, it is. I couldn't agree more. And you're, it's got people talking about it out with the industry, but I feel like it's also, it's in a large uptake from farmers as well. And it's almost got farmers talking about farming when, you know, sometimes you could say we're guilty of not, we're guilty of not sort of promoting our own thing, our own yeah. product, our own, we sort of just hope it's fine. Uh, and getting us talking about it, and now people are starting to see folk again talking to the public with farmers and stuff it, it can only only be good and that that one when he dropped them off at the abattoir really resonated with me I, I noticed that i was like he cares he's not just in this you know he's let's be serious the the money side of the farm to jeremy probably isn't a massive consideration yes he's trying to do it correct obviously but he cares about it it, it really matters to him and it, it showed showed a heart in the farmer which which we need yeah um, i mean he delivered on that and he you know that's what he wanted to get across at the start. So I think, you know, that was, you know, he's a clever man and he wanted to get it across and I think he did it. He's done a really good job. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. How, how was he to work with? Do you know what? The amount of questions, times I get, the two things I get asked, what's he really like? And what's the other one? Uh, yeah, I can't remember the other, but I always said, you will have to find out yourself, won't you? Okay. Good one. Good one. That's true. Um, yeah. I he seemed pretty sound on camera. Seems like he was sound, yeah. just a typical farmer, maybe. Uh, no, good. Um, we've sort of went around the houses there, Kevin. We've we've touched on touched on a lot of things. Um, is there anything you think maybe I've missed on? Maybe haven't touched upon that you'd like to talk about? Mm, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. It's a bit strange <laughs> talking about your own own life for. A, well, have we been an hour? Not not quite. No, but, yeah, I think yeah. we'll be probably about. We'll probably finish at about 55 minutes. We've got two yeah. more small questions to ask every time. But, uh, <laughs> but, I, th- I think yeah. folks struggle with that at first, actually. It's because <laughs> I say it's like having a chat, a bar or something, but in actual fact, it's not, unless you're really confident. Um, <laughs> just I'm quite know. good at talking. It's job to shut me up sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, I totally empathise. So um, uh, the, the two questions I sort of finish every podcast with, Kevin, is... Uh, one is where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is uh, if you had any tips for someone coming into the industry, I assume for you that's going to be sort of just farming in general and probably be a really good example given you actually have come in. Uh, hmm. What would they be? <clears throat> so when I was younger, I always used to plan ahead of me. So it was like, I'll get, I'm not going to get married till I'm 25 or. And then no, I don't want to have kids till I'm maybe 27. I want to be a farm manager by the time I'm 30. And I did usually hit those goals. I don't know whether it was just coincidence or good planning or not. But now I'm getting I've passed 50. And you start thinking, well, you start thinking, well, if I buy another if I bought another sheepdog now, by the time that gets to its, the end of it, <laughs> end of its working career, so will I. Um, I'm I'm getting a bit stiffer and uh uh, and a few more aches and pains, but I think my um, my I managed to get through it because you've learned so much as you go along. So next five years, I mean, farming, sheep farming, and and where I work is the backbone to all the all the stuff we've talked about. Um, so I'd like to think I'd still be here, 
there's some great challenges coming along with elms. We might push a bit more down the environmental side and have a few less sheep. Hopefully the stuff I do with the NSA will lead to more, um, you know, and maybe, uh, yeah, my, my own uh, TV series. And oh, let me check on that a bit. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> Kevin's no, no, I think I'm a long way down the list on that one. But, um, yeah, five years, that made me 57. And it's, it's a question I ask myself on a regular basis. If the, if the government wants me to work till 68 before I retire, am I going to do that in an industry I love? But yeah, so but everything I'm doing now stems back to that main backbone of my life, which is working on farms, which I've done all my life. And if you want to get into it, just talk to people, listen to people, learn from your mistakes, um, knock on doors if you have to. Uh, but just go out there with a passion and, you know, you never know what door... It, you get out in the corridor of life, there's many doors. You can choose to open them or ignore them and keep going, but you can't go back to that door on a lot of them. Um, and then once you've opened that door, make the most of it um, and just do it with a, a positive attitude. Keep smiling and that will do, will never do. Good point. Sort of things I, I go for. Good one. I like the sort of thing yeah. you, you often don't get the chance to open a door that you haven't taken you yeah. haven't decided to open before it's good yeah. it's true and yeah and there's the opportunities there and it doesn't have to be physical manual working on a farm now the agricultural industry is massive and there's some really intelligent people out there doing some great work um you know for the industry so it's, it's a massive industry it's interesting you say that as a kid that you sort of had like the dates and that, you know, the ages that you're going to do. I probably, hopefully my girlfriend doesn't in the earshot, but 25 was always the age I thought I'd be married. I'm 24, so hopefully she hasn't heard that one. But um, yeah, it's funny. I, I've got that sort of regimented idea as to where things might happen. And I don't I don't even know if it's a goal or subconsciously it is, but it's it's, it's a good way of sort of creating a routine, maybe. Um, mm. Planning ahead. But uh, yeah, that's been really good. I've really yeah. enjoyed that. I hope you've enjoyed it yourself. No, it's very good. It's lovely to chat to you. Um, yeah, your podcasts are great. I think they're uh, the oh, style and everything's uh, brilliant. So, yeah, best of luck with them. <laughs> the heavily unprofessional style. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me a shout in five years. We'll do a proper one. Well, yeah, exactly. I was actually, just just for those of you that are listening, just before uh, Kevin came on there, I was saying, I have actually bought some kit which I think you might have seen in a previous podcast because this was filmed a wee bit earlier. I've got this, but I've got the wrong cable for it. So we're, we're maybe getting a wee bit more professional, but not quite there yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, appreciate your time. Obviously a really busy guy, uh, but uh, I hope you've enjoyed it and appreciate the kind words with the podcast as well. And we'll hopefully keep yeah. in touch. Yeah, hopefully see you in person one day. Yes, oh, let's hope, let's hope. We'll speak to you later on, Kevin. Cheers. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.